Hey, welcome to this special podcast. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Hope City Church, and I'm recording this uh, podcast today with my wife, Andrea. Say hey to everybody, Andrea. Hello. And uh, the reason that we're doing this podcast is we wanted to take some time each week to further discuss uh, the series that we're a part of right now in our church called Break the Cycle, How to Stop Acting Like the Person You Don't Want to Be. And the series is all about breaking those dysfunctional patterns in our life. And for Andrea and I personally, the Enneagram over the last, really, what would you say, two years? Probably, yeah. 18 months, 24 months, has been a life-changing, no hype intended, for real, life-changing way that we have started to understand the way that we think. And so week one of Break the Cycle was all about the way that we think. We used Romans 12 that said, you know, don't copy the patterns and customs, behaviors of the world. And we, we kind of just stopped and said, yes, there are patterns and, and behaviors in the world, but we really talked about our world, our home, our parents, our teachers, our coaches, our neighborhood, that we all kind of absorbed and copied a pattern of behavior, a way of thinking. But Romans 12 says that God wants to change us, make us a brand new person by changing the way that we think. And our big idea for the week was that you can't change the way you think until you know the way you think. And I knew that when we started kind of going through this, that we had to talk about the Enneagram, Andrea, because I know you are a certified Enneagram coach, and it is, it's just so normal to talk about in our house. It's made its way into our church staff, our elders, our leaders. And so before we kind of go through the individual numbers of the Enneagram, uh, which maybe people are familiar with, if you've taken like a Facebook quiz or talk to a friend or something like that. Before we get into that, why don't you just kind of give everybody a, an overview of what is the Enneagram if they've never heard of it? Yeah, so the Enneagram may be similar to other personality um, tests that you are familiar with, but it really helps you to access much faster how you are motivated, why you do what you do, why you behave in the world. Um, and it kind of gives you even a little bit of how, what, what to do with that information. So specifically, if we're talking about patterns of thinking, which then impact our patterns of behavior, and maybe you feel like, well, I don't know how to think about my thinking. I don't know why I necessarily do what I do. I believe that the Enneagram can help narrow that in much quicker for all of us. So it is, it's a, it's a personality profile, I guess you would say, right? Is that what you would call it? Sure personality test. And I know you and I over the years have taken all kinds of quizzes and tests and all kinds of stuff. That's my phone ringing right there. Let me cut that off. Um, all kinds of, you know, we've done the Myers-Briggs, we've done Strengths Finders, we've done the five love languages, we've done all kinds of tests, but there was something about the Enneagram for you and I, you started it, you kind of <laughs> nagged me for a while about it and uh, kind of guessing my number until finally I just, I jumped in and was all about it. What is it about the Enneagram that was different for you uh, and for us than other, you know, may maybe people at their jobs have taken some of those other tests before and it was fun to talk about, you know, are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Whatever it is. But what is it about the Enneagram that makes it different than other quote unquote personality profiles? I felt like the Enneagram kind of picks up where other personality profiling leave off. For example, I may be told that I'm this color or this letter or this animal, but it felt very boxed in. It felt very static. And I felt really honestly powerless to do anything with that information. It just felt like honestly more of a label than anything that I could actually like use or implement. 
I would say it this way. They described my behavior, but they did not help me to better understand why I was behaving that way. And the Enneagram, I feel like presents a clearer path and really has become a tool Number one, for me to um, embrace the way that God made me to be at a core, like DNA structural level, but also to feel a little bit more empowered. Like, okay, I know that this is how I'm wired, but I also know how to grow beyond that and how to um, be a healthy version of that type or of that number. So the way that the Enneagram works is there are nine different, what we would call norms. Uh, no number is better than the other number. Uh, two is this is just as great as eight. Nine is just as great as five and so on and so forth. But if you start to read some of these descriptions and it's very layered, it's very nuanced, and there are even levels of, you know, healthy, average and unhealthy, which can you know, even make it more intricate, but I think that's normal because we're human beings, right? We're not talking about robots. Um, and so I, every, every type, um, kind of hones in and I, my experience as well as experiences of people that I have worked with, it is this like profound gut punch revelation. That's where I feel like it is maybe different than um, other personality tests and um, diagnostics that I have worked with. Like when you read this, usually your response once you find your dominant type is something along the lines of, how did you get inside my head? Yeah. I, how did they describe it so accurately? And then also too, you know, one of the, the first things that you told me that was made it appealing and attractive to you is that it's, it's based or its roots have spiritual uh, beginnings. Absolutely. Yeah. So it really can be traced back to Jesuits, which are uh, priests in the Catholic faith. Even thousands of years ago, this was like an oral tradition that they used to communicate and to understand um, you know, just how people thought, how people were motivated, how people operated in the world. And in the last 50 years or so, it has kind of grown um, in acceptance in fields like sociology and psychology, um, things like that. And so I would love for us to dive in and see if maybe this can help some of our people who are listening, maybe identify and pinpoint some of their own thought patterns, maybe even at a quicker pace than if they did not have the Enneagram. Okay, so you said there's nine different norms there's normals, there's nine numbers. So for anybody who may have seen a, you know, a Facebook quiz or heard your friend talking, I'm a one, I'm a four, I'm a seven, I'm a nine. Uh, they're, they're, they're talking about their number or, or their, their type, uh, is another way that we describe it. So why don't we start and go through each of the nine types, each of the nine numbers, find out what they are and tell us a little bit about them. Great. So I'm going to do this like a flyby, just, you know, super fast. We can work on unpacking some of it maybe in a different episode, but just as a quick hit, um, we'll start right off with ones. Ones, just as like a descriptor, we call them the reformer. Um, and these are your people who are just natural rule followers. They have a super strong sense of right and wrong. Um, there's very little gray in their world and they kind of operate from this belief internally that things can be perfect. My behavior can be perfect. My uh, bank account can be perfect. My paper that I turn in to my professor can be perfect. They're always working and operating out of this hope and belief that if I will work hard enough, 
I can be perfect. They're very self-controlled. They're very purposeful, um, but they tend to operate in kind of an idealistic uh, standpoint. So when maybe in an unhealthy way, they could be called a perfectionist, sure. but in, in a healthy way, I've heard them called the improvers. Yes. And I love that idea because I have several ones in my life. I love me some ones uh, because they improve everything they get their hands on. Yeah. Um, but they, then they reform our behavior because they hold themselves to such a high standard. They're kind of calling the rest of us um, higher as well. So when ones walk into a room, they can't help but notice uh, things that could be improved. Yeah, it's when, their superpower. When ones read something, they can't help but see maybe the grammatical flaws or ways that it could be improved. Um, so it's it's the idea that something could be better. And that also is, is a big motivation for themselves as well. They feel like they could be better. They feel like they could always be doing better. Is that true? Absolutely. And I think anytime we're talking about a one, we have to mention that they have this very strong internal voice that is kind of on uh, a never ending cycle. Since we're talking about breaking cycles, it is on repeat and it goes something like this. Come on. Why didn't you do better? You should have had this. You know better. You should be. And it is just this internal narrative, this internal dialogue that is very, very hard for them to silence. And so uh, one of their, or their deadly sin is anger because there is this always kind of like just underneath the surface, like this angst and tension that they are working so hard to be better, 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 better. So Um, you just said the phrase deadly sin. Yeah. So every number has a name, a type, but then every number also has a deadly sin, which would you say that is kind of like when we are at our worst? How would you, I don't even really like that phrasing, but like, how would you say that? Like, that's the, is that like the really dark, scary part of us that is, how would you describe the deadly sin? I would say it's the area where that type struggles the most um, in terms of getting tripped up, in terms of what's just going to be their downfall. What's going to be the thing that really kind of takes them out. Okay. Yeah. So that would be the one. Okay. So let's talk about the two. One is the, the perfecter, the reformer, the improver, however you want to call that. What is two? The two is our helper. Twos are motivated to experience love. So every time that they walk into a room, every time that they're around people, they naturally are going to notice the needs of the people who are around them. They are driven to be relational even more than any other type. They are caring, they are people pleasing, um, and they are, they, they genuinely do want to help other people out, but they're for sure kind of looking for that affirmation coming back their way, that thank you, that I see you, I, I so appreciate what you just did. Um, and since we just talked about deadly sins, a deadly sin for a two is their pride, which makes sense because if they're constantly looking to help and serve and take care of other people, if there's that little bit of pride in them that's like, didn't you see the sandwich yeah. I made for you? Come on. So for a lot of twos, they're they're frustrated that other people aren't as good of friends back to them as they are to other people. Absolutely. I helped you move. Why didn't you help me move? I helped you, you know, whatever it is. Why didn't you help me? I showed up. I answered the phone when you called, whatever it is. And so when they're maybe at their most frustrated point or feeling point, it's like, why don't people reciprocate? That's exactly right. He's coming back. Okay. So the two is the helper. Let's talk about number three. The three is the achiever. So what you have to know about anyone who is dominant in type three, 
And I say the phrase dominant because we all might have elements or pieces of the different types, but you, I would, I would guarantee there's going to be one of the numbers, one of the types that, that really resonates with you. And we call that your dominant type. So if you are dominant in type three, you are the achiever. You are motivated to have um, lots of success, achieve, 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 because you are looking to be validated by other people. You want other people to recognize um, your hard work, your awesomeness, you know. So typically we see type threes, um, great in sales. These are your people who can have a a to-do list that is a mile long, but they are super high energy wired to just knock it out. And they will go to great lengths to accomplish great feats. So a three is the type of person that we say, like they just get in the zone and oh, they yeah. can knock out oh, yeah. a list. That's they right. can renovate the house. They can break the sales record. They, whatever it is. They're super competitive. They are success oriented and they honestly don't want you getting in their way keeping them from completing whatever that project is. So what's the deadly sin of a three? The deadly sin is going to be dishonesty, lying, because they are very much trying to present themselves in a certain light that is going to make them look the best. And so they have to really be on guard about integrity and, and telling the whole truth. And even to the degree that like they may be tempted to cut corners or cheat in order to get ahead. And so they, a three really has to... Um, just guard against that. Yeah. Okay. So we've looked at the first three. Uh, let's go to number four. What's number four? Number four is the individualist. And these are your, without being, you know, overly stereotyping, um, your fours are definitely going to be your artists, your writers, your painters, um, the people who are able to notice beauty in the world, but they also are very well acquainted with grief or sorrow or sadness. They have that full range of emotions. And so they are nostalgic and sentimental um, and very, very expressive, um, sensitive. These are the people who, if you are going through uh, grieving something, like they will get right there with you. Like they will sit in that with you and they are wanting to experience significance. They're really searching for maybe that painting that they paint that's going to change the world. That book that they're going to write that's going to be super unique. Um, And so that's why we call them the individualists because they are very aware of that sense of feeling special, that sense of feeling significant. Um, And, of course, to play into this, um, fours are the least... Uh, reoccurring in all of the types. So their sense of feeling special, there might actually be something to that. And I've also heard the four called the romantic. The romantic, for sure. Another way. So just a a heavy feeler and beauty and creative and that type of stuff. What's a deadly sin of a four? Their deadly sin is going to be envy. And I always take a second just to explain this because it's not the same thing as jealousy. So envy for a four is they desire the experience that they perceive other people to have. So it's not so much, I wish I had her house. It's more along the lines of, I wish I loved my house the way she loves her house. 
Or, or like, I wish my house made me feel the way her house makes her feel. Exactly. Yeah. And this plays out into everything. They want to love a meal the way that they perceive other people. Like, this is the best restaurant ever. Or this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And it never quite measures up for a four. So the envy piece is a real, there's a real tension there. One of the reasons maybe they create so much is because they're trying to fill that, that empty spot I'll, maybe I'll finally create something. The reason I'm giving these examples is because I actually have a four wing and we can talk about that later. But this idea that like I will create something that will complete me. That's right. Um, okay, great. So let's talk about five. Oh, we'll, yes. Let's talk about the fives. Let's talk about it. The fives are the observers, sometimes also called the investigator. These are your very withdrawn. They are watching the world and really can even at times struggle to participate in the world. They are um, majorly motivated to solve problems, have answers, um, create solutions. They want knowledge, they want information, they want to do the deep diving on any particular subject that has their attention. And they want to do it like to the nth degree. And so their deadly sin, this one is so interesting to me, their deadly sin is actually greed. And while that might play out with money, like monetarily, it is a greed in this idea or mentality that I need to hold on to everything that I have. I need to hold on and guard my time. I need to hold on to my energy. I need to be really, you know, kind of stingy with my resources. Um, and it plays out in several ways, but they're very cerebral. They're, they're in their heads. They are thinking all the time. They can be spooky perceptive because they're spending a lot of time observing. Um, they're, they tend to be isolated, uh, but just super interesting. And you know why I would think you they're say, so interesting. Would you say fives are the best looking? They are so the best looking. <laughs> um, yeah, you, so I'm a you five. You are a five. I would have five. And I would say that if I had to describe it like in one word, I would say understanding. Uh, myself and most of the fives that I know, we just seek to, we just want to understand. And so we're always collecting information. We're always observing people. We're always kind of testing theories in our mind. We love our minds. We love to live in our heads because oh, yeah. we're always working something out. And so um, observer, investigator, just this idea of like always trying to piece it together, understand, figure it out. And uh, yeah, I'm a five. So, all right, let's keep going. Um, well, before we go on, let me just say, if you're still with us out there, that we're going through these numbers because we want you to maybe initially kind of get an idea for what you are. And then at the end of the podcast here, we're going to tell you ways that you can kind of zero in even more on your type because we really believe if you can figure out your Enneagram type, it's going to help you figure out the way that you think. And we'll piece that together and put some links in the show notes uh, as well. So let's talk about that now that we have gotten through, you know, a, a lot of the types and we're landing on, for the moment, your type. How has knowing the Enneagram and knowing that you're dominant in five and you're, you're naturally a thinker, mm -hmm. how has it helped you to hone in even more on your particular patterns of thinking? Yeah, I would say the biggest self-awareness is humongous. And I would say becoming aware of how often I'm not present with 
the people around me. So prior to Enneagram, yep. prior to that language, prior to seeing that kind of packaged as, oh, wow, I really do fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, now knowing the Enneagram, you would say it has helped me to identify, give me something specific. Well, I would say two. One is funny, but I would say before the Enneagram, I just assumed that energetic people were faking it. Wow. I, I, I didn't understand that there were a type of people in the world that were genuinely high energy. Wow. And were never, not, were never drained. Wow. Um, so that would be one is just kind of respecting and understanding other types of people. That's great. But then awareness for me personally, what was your question again? What, what have you become aware of in your thinking now that you have the language of the Enneagram? Yeah. So I've become aware of the way I withdraw. Okay. The way that I distance myself from people, the way that I can feel as if I had a great day but I did not interact with anyone all day long, which Mm. is not healthy. Sure. Um, So a lot of it has to do with just engagement with the world for me. And what's so tricky, specifically talking about thinking, to to some degree, all of us live in our own minds and we're the most familiar with our own thoughts. And we we get tripped up because we start to believe or assume, well, doesn't everyone have that fear? Well, doesn't everyone think that way? Well, doesn't everyone, you know, and the Enneagram shows us while as human beings, there are some obviously overlapping similarities. The honest truth is no, not everybody does think that way. That's right. So let's keep going with number six. Okay. Number um, six. A six is called a loyalist and um, sixes are absolutely committed individuals. They are committed to, these are the types of people who have the same job for 30 years. Like they are loyal to their employers. These are the people who have a strong sense of like community obligation. Um, they are very, very security and like safety oriented. And so they will naturally kind of be aware of what could go wrong and they're trying to think about because they honestly want the people who they love and care about to be safe. They want them to be taken care of. And um, so a six is going to be very responsible. These, they're going to be great planners. They're, you know, they can plan a vacation that's two years down the road and um, like just really knock that out of the park. Um, On, on a struggling side, they might tend to be suspicious or a little bit anxious. I was just about to say that. So like at their, at their best, they are, um, preparing for potential dangers at their worst. They are paralyzed by potential dangers. That's good. That's a great way to say it. I just came up with that on the spot. Write that down. Write that down. Save that. So they are, um, all the way in to their community, to their group of friends, to the people who they love and trust. Um, but they, they can for sure play out the rainy day scenarios, like all the way, mm-hmm. um, their so deadly sin, deadly sin is fear, which again, makes perfect sense because if they are very, very all the time aware of what could go wrong, that can stimulate that fear. All right. All right. Let's sevens, talk about number seven. Sevens are the enthusiast. Uh, these are your optimistic kind of fun, loving, spontaneous, easily distracted, um, can sometimes come across as busy or scattered, um, maybe like bounce from one thing to another. But here, here's what you have to know about a seven. They are motivated. Their core thinking, their core motivation is to avoid pain, discomfort, displeasure. 
And so the reason that they are moving, moving, bouncing, bouncing, high energy, kind of like what's next, what's next, it's usually because they are, it's their coping mechanism for avoiding some kind of sadness, pain, discomfort, whatever the case may be. Um, and with that is their deadly sin, which is gluttony. So sevens just love to experience pleasure in any form or fashion, whether it's six pieces of chocolate cake or buying six pairs of the same shoe because they just love them and it makes them feel good. Um, sevens are like, yes, all the way. I would say, because I'm married to a seven, you're a seven. <laughs> That's right. I would describe seven as like the fireworks in your life. Yeah. Like they are um, always a spark. They are always bringing energy. You know, you're in most of the meetings I'm in, but when you're not in the meetings I'm in, there's just a, there's a lack of enthusiasm and energy in the room because you're not in there. Um, and so the enthusiast is the perfect name for that uh, because you definitely bring the enthusiasm into the room. Yeah, so can I, I'm going to jump in and kind of just tell you super quick some of the thought patterns that I had that I did not realize other people did not have were things like just naturally being optimistic. So any scenario is presented, I can reframe it so fast. Kind of like one of the inside jokes of a seven is like if the barn's on fire, the sevens are like, let's get the s'mores and marshmallows. This is going to be great. And what feels so natural um, for a seven, you have a hard time kind of wrapping your mind around the fact like you're not everyone is like that. Right. You don't think that way? It goes back to that idea that like you think your normal is everyone's normal, but the Enneagram really helps you understand that there are nine normals. That's right. Out there. And that cannot be stated enough. That is so true. And I think we've been married 15 years, but, but over those years, like in different friendships and relationships before the Enneagram, there was always some confusion maybe on your end with other people. Like how come they're not as optimistic as me? Right. How come they're not as enthusiastic? Right. Why would they not want to just drop everything at the last second and go, you know, on a trip or whatever? Absolutely. Because there's a sense of like, my way is the is the normal way or the best way, but it's just your way. That's right. Um, which is good. All right, there's two more numbers. I don't want to leave out the eights and the nines. Yeah, uh, here we so go. So let's, let's do eight. So the eight is the challenger. This is the strongest energy type on the Enneagram. So your high energy types, if you know that you are a high energy person, you could probably zone in on one of these three types, eight, seven, and three. But even of those three, the eight has the highest energy um, capacity. They are powerful. They are dominating. They are self-confident, decisive. Um, They are not afraid of confrontation. And the reason for this is because their core motivation, the way that they are wired, is they want to right a wrong. They want to fix an injustice. If there is something that they perceive to be unfair, to be you know, you can't treat people that way. I'm going to tell you right now, like they are going to hit it head on. And so what I always say about an eight is they're either going to set the world on fire or they're going to set the world on fire. You know what I mean? They're either going to have this amazing cause, uh, just to give you an example, like a Martin Luther King Jr. who can literally transform, you know, a a country, a nation, um, because of his passion. So they're you know, going to set the world on fire because they are out doing good or they're like going the other extreme. Mm-hmm. And um, just if you encounter an eight, it's usually easy to tell because they yeah. are just 
If, you're, if you ever have to get into a bar fight, oh yeah, you want an eight with you. You need an eight. You need an eight in the bar fight, uh, but, but which here, is great. I do want to clarify this, though. Like, um, eights don't have to be like bulldozers or bullies. It's actually the opposite. A lot of times, eights are the ones who will stand up for the person that's who right. is a victim or who is being bullied. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Eights will have your back. That's right. For sure. Every time. So their deadly sin is lust because there is just this like burning passion inside of them all the time. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the last one. Nine. Last, but definitely not least because it's often said that nines are the sweethearts of the Enneagram. Nines are the peacemakers. And, um, I would say if sixes keep the rest of us alive, nines help us to like enjoy being alive. <laughs> like they give us peace and harmony and can kind of, their superpower is the ability to see everyone's viewpoint. Nines are going to be the most capable of um, settling arguments, seeing how people's different views um can, can be kind of calmed down and they just, when a nine walks into the room, like everyone feels a little bit calmer and it's a really sweet thing. So their deadly sin though, is what we would call sloth, um, because they have a very strong tendency to just pull way back. Mm -hmm. It's an avoidance technique. So if there is a pile of dishes in the kitchen, um, they may actually go do yard work yeah. because they are just kind of shrinking away from the thing that they don't want to take on. I actually have a lot of friends who are nines. And one of the things that I've learned since learning the Enneagram is that before the Enneagram, they would be quiet. And I would assume that their silence was disapproval. Wow. Like they hate it. Wow. Oh man, they hate it. And really what I'm learned, what I've learned about nines is like, they're just, they're just processing. They're just thinking about it or ask, or, ask them about it two weeks later. Or they're neutral. Like, yeah. yeah, I can see your side. Yeah. Um, which, which is great. So, um, so we've gone through all nine of these numbers. Let's recap them real quick. The one is the reformer or the perfectionist. The two is the helper. The three is the achiever. The four is the individualist. The five is the observer. The six is the, uh, loyalist. The seven is the enthusiast. The eight is the challenger. Nine is the peacemaker. Now, the reason we went through all these numbers is that hopefully as we were talking about this, you were kind of resonating with, you know, one of these, maybe two of these. If you were listening and you resonated with all of them, maybe you're a nine because yeah, <laughs> nines kind of see all sides. That's right. Um, we don't expect you just from this little conversation to be able to know exactly what your number is, but we do want to begin the process of helping you identify what your Enneagram number is. And it's important to remember that no number is better than any other number. Um, and we always say that because when we talk about this, inevitably people usually feel like their number is the worst because they only <laughs> think about the faults, you know, so or what's true. wrong with my number or whatever. Uh, no number is better than the other number, but once you identify your number and you begin to learn about that type, it really helps you begin to process the way that you think, the way that you think. And we ended the sermon Sunday with this kind of template to help us understand the way that we think, our pattern of thinking. We said, when blank, like fill in the blank, when fill in the blank, I usually fill in the blank and I end up fill in the blank. When fill in the blank, I usually fill in the blank, I end up fill in the blank. And what we were asking people to do is to use that little sentence template to help them understand a pattern of thinking. So as a five, one of the things I realized is just as an example is when I walk in a room, I usually feel 
you know, uh, distant or feel uh, like I don't fit in or I don't have enough energy or whatever that would be. And I end up hiding. Like that is something for me that I could say, but we could go through this uh, in any different ways. When I get extra money, I usually buy something I don't need and end up feeling disappointed in myself. When I get in a new relationship, I usually uh, go all in too quickly and I end up uh, pushing someone away. You see this pattern? We can just keep going through over and over this, uh, over and over again. Your Enneagram number really helps you identify these types of patterns of thinking because you know you're wired the way that you are. You you have absorbed what you've absorbed. You you have a pattern and a personality type, and want to help you do that. So, Andrea, I know a lot of people as we talk about. The Enneagram, they say, oh yeah, I took that quiz on Facebook, or yeah, I read that, and I'm a two with a seven and a four. Or they, they throw a bunch of numbers together, and we always, you know, I hear you coach people a lot that every person has one type. Is that correct? A one dominant you have one type. dominant number. And here's a good way to kind of know, when you start reading deeper descriptions, one of the types is going to gut punch you. It is going to like make you feel like who has been reading my mail who has been stuck inside my head wow and you won't be able to come away from it but that is your one you're not your top three numbers you're not a mixture or a combination like you have a dominant type and it's really important to hone in on what that is and so the two best ways we recommend people identifying their number is number one just reading about the numbers even before you take a quiz or a test is just reading about the numbers. There are blogs, there are books, um, the different things. Go back and listen again to the descriptions and just read. You can Google Enneagram types or Enneagram numbers and just read through them. That's the best way. See which ones you relate to. But then secondly is to take an Enneagram personality test. Now we recommend uh, a test that actually costs money. Uh, we don't get any money from it. We just use it. It's it's from the Enneagram, what's it, Institute? In, in, the Enneagram Institute, that's right. And we'll put a link in the profile. It costs $12. It's more extensive. It's longer. But it's been more accurate for us and for our team as we have been um, doing that. But just a heads up, like it can take some time to identify your number. I know when we first started, I was convinced I was a four. Sure. And you were convinced I was a four. Yeah. And three months later, two months later, because I just was kind of based on, you know, your opinion or my opinion or something I heard when I really started reading about the five, I was like, Oh wow. Like, no, I'm, I'm a five. I'm way more a five for a lot of reasons we can talk about later. So sometimes you can think you're a number and maybe that's a wing and we can talk about wings later, all more conversations we can have, but don't just take a quick 10 question test and be like, Oh, that's my number. Read about it. Maybe use the link, pay the $12, do the Enneagram Institute and as you begin to understand your type, it's going to help you begin to think about the way that you think. Anything else you want to add before we close out? Here's what I would say. You and I have talked a lot about the power of counseling. We believe in counseling at different times. You and I have both been in counseling. But I would encourage lots of people, anybody who, who's checking this out or, or interested, if you will 
take the Enneagram Institute, look into Enneagram, spend a little bit of time asking yourself some of those reflective questions. Listen, there is a a process that you can experience that might take 20 years of counseling. Mm -hmm. Like it will, it can hone in on some of those behaviors that keep tripping you up and help you to see yourself in a much clearer light. Um, and, And so that would be my encouragement. All right. So we can't change the way we think until we think about the way that we think. And so that's our challenge for you as we continue to, to, to work towards breaking the cycle, patterns of dysfunction in our life. We want, we're trying to help you with the Enneagram. So use the link in the description of this podcast or somewhere around this podcast, depending on if it's, if it's on a webpage, and uh, do a little more research and we'll continue this conversation on our next podcast.